Hey, my name's Marcy. I'm a hairstylist and suite owner out of North Carolina. I actually work at two locations throughout state and Schedulicity helps me manage my busy schedule in both places. Um, it's so easy to send emails to the different client lists, to book clients for the different clients lists and toggle back and forth in the app. Um, it's kind of killer for me. I love it so much. I grew up in the age of everything online and being able to do everything through my phone, manage my day to day, send out emails, process payments, everything um, is such a huge help as a small business owner um, and someone who's out there hustling and grinding every single day. Um, and a huge shout out to Schedulicity and everything that they did um, immediately when COVID hit the industry and just stepping up to the plate with no questions asked. And being there for us stylists, Schedulicity, you rock. Hello, everyone. My name is Jerry Natuno, and this amazing podcast is brought to you by Schedulicity. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome to your day off. My name is Corey, and of course, I'm sitting with my best friend, Tom. What's up, man? What's up, brother? How you doing, man? I am amazing. I am super mega stoked about today. Dude, you know, it's like we have our today's guest is one of those guys that, you know, you have people who can talk the talk, and you have people that, you know, they, they want to do things. This guy, I mean, he is so lighthearted. You know, you, you, you talk about people with Midas touch. He has the, actually the Midas soul. You know what I mean? He, his soul is so genuine, so giving. Yeah, I mean, literally, uh, he's everything that, that we want to be. Absolutely. It's like, uh, you know, you have people in your life or, or you know, uh, I can't say that we're friends yet, but, you know, you, you hope, to, ha- you hope right. to surround yourself with friends that, that, that inspire you to be better. And, and everything um, that, 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 that we've read about this, this guy and everything that we've seen, most importantly have seen about this guy has been exactly that. And, and, and that's a key. Yeah, and, and talking to the people that he's impacted or, or he's influenced or that he's had contact with yeah. and not a negative word. I mean, it's all about positivity it's all about giving it's all about you know lifting each other up and uh dude it's just you know to to live your it's not like you know i I decided to do this he's been like this since the get-go you know so it'd be great to have this conversation what keeps him there what started him there what motivates him to 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 stay there and so i'm really excited you know like uh that, that that's a that's a really nice or or neat legacy to have right that's a legacy that, that that I long for and that's just that nobody can say anything negative about you you know or or that you've helped somebody you know through through the uh through the through the life war so to speak i mean that might be a little overstated but you know what i mean you know um just it's just it's just a great legacy to have um so you know, shall right, we that's enough tease, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we are mega honored to have the one and only Win Clayball on the podcast today. A little backstory is that um, people have heard us talk about the risers from the um, the Paul Mitchell Temple School um, here in Frederick, Maryland. Frederick, Maryland. Um, so people have heard us talk about it, and you know, we that we were kind of introduced into the the Paul Mitchell um, the Paul Mitchell school system through them, and and. You know, I, I, I was teasing before we jumped on. I wasn't teasing. I was being serious. But, you know, we were talking about it that um, I, I have the utmost respect for what the Risers do over there at, at the Temple School. I, I honestly believe it's it's uh, uh, one of, if not the best hair school in the country. And, and, and I stand behind that. And none of that, none of that is possible. The whole Paul Mitchell schooling system isn't, isn't possible without win. So um, shall we bring him in, Tom? Dude, bring him in, bro. <laughs> Mr. Wynn Clayball, welcome to your day off. Well, thanks, you guys. Now, wh- why are we calling this the, your day off? 
Well, you know, like, you know, when we first started this thing, we, we, we knew that we wanted to speak to hairdressers and, and our, our initial thought was that we'd release all of our podcasts on Monday, which traditionally have been, you know, for hairdressers, either a day off or the day to share information. You know, it's the day that you go to classes, it's the day that you learn something. So we thought that if we, uh, we could talk to hairdressers and kind of tease them into like, hey, this is your day off and you're going to get some information today. That's great. I lo- lo- love the branding. It's perfect. It's perfect. And, and by the way, um, there, there are some uh, negative people out there uh, <laughs> who, who you could track down, and I'm sure that they have, they have their stories. You know, that, that's just how it is. You know, the, the higher up you go, the more you want to accomplish, the, the larger your circle of influence. That also means you have a lot of naysayers, too. So you just can't listen to that chatter. No, well, yeah. fortunately, we haven't heard that, and even when we looked it up, we couldn't find it. But, uh, but mm. you know, thanks, man. Thank, th- thanks for uh, hanging out with us. Thanks, Corey. Thanks, Tony. It's really a pleasure to be a part of this. I love the risers. Uh, I had a chance to to watch the podcast that you did with with them. So that's it's pretty brilliant. And and what you guys are doing to spread incredible messages within the beauty industry. I have a feeling that your outreach is beyond the beauty industry because, especially now. Uh, every hairdresser has somebody else that's looking over their shoulder to listen to the podcast, to watch you guys and hear what you have to say. And so uh, you have a large circle of influence and congratulations. Well, well, thanks Um, for that one. Yeah, we appreciate it. So let's start with the question that we start every podcast with. Where did you grow up? Where are you from? I'm from Southern California. So I was born in Los Angeles, uh, Went through high school and then uh, moved to Utah. My whole family migrated to Utah, actually, while I was still a senior in high school. I think I was the only senior who I I had my own apartment, my own car, my own job. Um, And so eventually I went up to Utah and spent several years there. In fact, that's where I actually started my company. So I opened my first salon, my first school in Utah. I still have some of my corporate offices are still based there. My whole family is still basically based in Utah, and uh, I migrated back to Southern California, um, thankfully, and, <laughs> and, and still fell in love with the beauty industry. And the good, I'm not a hairdresser. I've never been a hairdresser, mm-hmm. um, uh, but I fell in love with hairdressers, and fortunately, hairdressers fell in love with me, too. That's awesome. What, how, how, how'd you find hairdressing, man? There's got to be a story there. Okay, this is a true story, and everybody laughs. Uh, before this, I was a rock star. <laughs> see you're laughing you're laughing like, like you don't believe that story and it's no, true. no i believe it uh, i believe it no i i'll send you a newspaper clipping i was in in uh, 1981 i had a hit song in south america and all of a sudden i had all these record sales and i wanted to invest the money in some type of a business and i had friends that were hairdressers they talked me into opening up a salon um it was a three-chair salon it was like the size of my bedroom very, very tiny salon in the basement of a, a office building in Provo, Utah, of all places. Provo, Utah. The rent was $205 a month. I remember all of this. Wow. And, but, but, it, but it worked. It just, it just clicked so fast. Within six months, we opened up a second salon. Within a year, I opened up my first school. And getting into the school business was exactly what needed to happen. I mean, I'll, I'll share this with you. Not that I share this often, but had I not gotten into the school business, Meaning, had I only stayed in the salon business, I'm not sure that I would still be in the industry today. I Meaning, what really helped me fall in love with the beauty industry was the education side of it. Uh, to, to, to fall in love with future professionals, and, and we coined that. We were the first ones to call them future professionals and not students. Uh, to fall in love with future professionals, that next generation, was truly what drove me, what, what created passion for me. And, and based on that love, I love students because they have what we call beginner's luck, which basically means that they don't know it won't work. Um, What was that joke? Uh, uh, How many hairdressers does it take to do a a new haircut? A hundred. One to do the cut and 99 to stand there and say, oh, I could do that. (laughs) (laughs) Touche, man. Right. So so when you're you're like a modern day uh, um, uh, Rodriguez then, right? So you had a hit in South America. You saw that movie, right? Yes. Is it just me? Well, it, it was in South America. So, yeah, so I, I toured with people like Leonardo Fabio and, and uh, Nelson Ned. I mean, people that you probably have never heard of. Um, uh, yeah, it was this whole other life. But it was one of those things that, you know, there's some things that you do that you love doing, yeah. but then you really shouldn't 
try to make money at it, you know? Like, I loved music. I was raised with music, playing the piano and writing songs. Um, but then when all of a sudden it became a career where I was paid to write songs and I was paid to do music, it wasn't fun. It wasn't enjoyable anymore. And then some things you are good at and you love doing them and you can turn them into a career and make money at them and, and, and live a blissful life for the rest of your career. Do you play or write music anymore? Have you, re- have, you, know have what, you found that? I haven't written music in, in quite a while and I, I, I play the piano a little bit, but it's pretty much private. It's at home. It's, uh, with my, I have an eight-year-old daughter, and so I, I love uh, sitting down at the piano. Now she's wanting to rewrite all the lyrics of my songs. You know, that's so that's a very <laughs> she wants to modernize pro- them. Pretty much, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> that and everything else in my life, you know. So, um, yeah. So I, I a little, little bit of, of music. It's it is something that brings me uh, joy and 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 calmness. There's there's some people that I have long-term relationships with now. Like the reason why. Larry King did the foreword for my book was because he married a friend of mine, uh, Sean Ingeman, who's yeah. now Sean King. And Sean, I was playing the piano for Sean when I was 15 years old, you know, when she, she's a singer and, and oh, I played wow. the piano for her and that's how it all, you know, so it's funny that the connections that we had so long ago, you can kind of draw a little points to how that relationship and that experience turned into something else. Like for example, um, uh, this is a this is a fake eye, so I'm blind in this eye, and you can kind of tell it gets a little wonky. And when we do podcasts, it like has a mind of its own for some reason on video. I don't know why, um, but I was blinded in this eye when I was 14. My parents bought me a piano so that I could entertain myself because uh, I couldn't go to school for a year. So I taught myself how to play the piano, which then led to me being the piano player for Sean King who then led me to Larry King, who wrote the forward for my book. So had I not been blinded, Larry King would not have written the forward for my book. So there you go. That's an amazing story, man. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, obviously you spent uh, your, your whole career inspiring, right? So, and you're, and, and so I, I guess the, the motivation uh, of inspiring, inspiring the, the next generation of hairdressers I guess just it was was that that was the reason that the fire was lit under you to to do um, the things that you're doing. The the fire was lit because I was uh, desperate because mm. I was miserable. Tony Robbins says that it's either inspiration or desperation that gets us motivated. For me. Uh, again, I was a salon owner, school owner with employees and future professionals, and I couldn't get myself out of bed. Uh, and mm-hmm. so I knew that uh, there had to be a better way, if, if not for myself and my own happiness, at least because I have influence. I asked these people to buy into something, to buy into my dream of a, a school or working in my salon. So I, I, I at least owed it to them. If I wasn't going to take good care of myself for my for myself, I, I at least owed it to them, and so out of that desperation, I started hunting wonderful speakers and mentors and teachers. Um, now I try to get that motivation through inspiration. I'm I'm proactive about listening to podcasts and bringing good people into my life, even though I'm not desperate. Uh, but back then, it, that was the drive. Wow. Wow. So what was it? I mean, what, what led up to that drive? You said that like, was it, was it like a depression thing where you broke? Like, what was like, what, what was that desperate? Like, what did you feel desperate about? I guess is the question. You know, I really couldn't point to anything. I mean, um, I later became a drug addict, so we can talk about that, but uh, um, it was just, just um, blah. You know, that's what they say. You know, when, when, when life is, is, just mildly miserable, you're not oftentimes motivated to do anything about it. You know, I'm, it's, it's, I'm not desperately miserable. And, you know, they, they talk about the value of uh, hitting rock bottom. You know, they, they talk about the value. They, they say that, uh, that having a nervous breakdown could actually be a spiritual awakening. <laughs> this could be the best thing that ever happened to you because now you're, you have that drive, that motivation to do something about it. And so, you know, I was just kind of mildly miserable. I was, I was never suicidal, but I was, I could have been close to that. But, um, 
I, and where it all started, where it turned for me was a friend of mine handed me a, it was a cassette tape. Mm-hmm. You know, it was that long ago in the mid eighties, it was a cassette tape. And he said, you know, when, what, what do you listen to this? It wasn't, it wasn't hitting me over the head with it. He wasn't like, you know, you're a mess, you big old loser. You really should listen to this. There was no judgment. There was no attack. It was just really kindly and lovingly and without a lot of pressure. He said, why don't you listen to this? And at the time, I tell you the truth, I didn't even know that there was such a thing as a motivational speaker. I didn't even know that that type of information existed out there. I was never exposed to that. Uh, and so all of a sudden, that, that tape became my life. I, I listened to it until I wore it out. I could quote you exactly. It was Ed Foreman. I could quote you what he said on that, on that tape. And that became, that, that led me to other mentors and to another mentor. You know how it is. It's like one good experience or friend or, or relationship can lead you to another, to another. And uh, that one led me to Gerald Jampolsky and Marianne Williamson and Louise Hay. And that list could go on and on. Everything from a spiritual approach to building self-esteem to a clinical approach with people like John Bradshaw, uh, Gerald Jampolsky, who wrote uh, Love is Letting Go of Fear. I mean, I got to meet him five years ago. I mean, that took that long. But five years ago, somebody said, you know, you talk about him so much. You write about him. Would you like to meet him? I'm, I'm like, what? <laughs> uh, he's 90 years old now. Right. And, you know, he's legally blind, but invites me to his home for dinner there with his beautiful wife. It was just an incredible experience. And so um, I guess because somebody gave that gift to me, hmm. oh, I get emotional already. Um, somebody gave that gift to me that many years ago. They didn't judge me. They didn't attack me. They just lovingly, here, when this, this might help you. When you deserve better, when I see potential in you that you don't even see yourself, and here's a gift. So if I can be that person that turns around to give that gift to as many people as I can, if I have that influence, why wouldn't I want to do that? Wow. And, and boy, did you, you take that gift and you, you spread it. Um, and and it, it, that's so beautiful, brother. That is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. You got me choked up too. You got you. you I, I got yeah. the runs coming down. Yeah. <laughs> when that's why I have the beard, so uh, so you can't see it when it goes. Yeah, well, I had <laughs> a baby like, eight years ago, so that's my excuse. Those hormones are still like, whoo. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I got news for you. Uh, I have a twenty-eight-year-old daughter, and those uh, those emotions and those hormones don't seem to go anywhere. Still the going. Don't, the, yeah. The, the 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 hormones certainly don't go anywhere. Hmm. When that's amazing, dude. So, I mean. I love how you kind of like, you kind of built on that cassette, right? Like I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to order that cassette. I wrote it down so I can, so I can order it. Cause if it can change your life, maybe it can change many lives, including my own. And so then, so did you just start to surround yourself or what was that process to be like? Cause, cause, cause you get the cassette, you play the cassette, there's something in the cassette. And then you said that you just started to evolve into like all these other, all these other speakers did. Were you just filling your head with as much of that? You, mojo that positivity as you could or or well, i went through the lessons oh yeah no i was i i became a junkie I, I couldn't get my hands on enough um and i'm not a big reader i wrote a book but i don't read there you go <laughs> so how i've always gained information my own knowledge and experience is uh uh audible so i would listen to mentors i would subscribe to um as many audio books as i could i would you know, there, were, there weren't really podcasts, you know, back then, um, but I would try to go to as many of these seminars. You know, Marianne Williamson, everybody knows her now because she was uh, running for president, um, but she's been on Oprah's team. And she, you guys, I, got, I started going to Marianne Williamson seminars when it was 20 people meeting in her living room back yeah. in 1985, you know, and, and then it turned into thousands of people and she would speak two or three times a week. And I would go every single time, three times a week for a year. So when I say that I've listened to Marianne Williamson um, 200 times live, I'm not exaggerating. And, and then eventually I, I met her, but that was only after I started volunteering because she started Project Angel Food and I started volunteering where I had my 
little route of dropping off canisters at stores to receive donations and um, answering the phone at her headquarters, you know, a nonprofit. Again, as close to Marianne as I possibly could, not because I was inspired, but because her value, uh, what it, what it means to hit rock bottom. Those are some good places. And sometimes you see people going through rock bottom and you're thinking, this is good news. This is really good news because now maybe you're open. Now maybe uh, you have a heart that is, is willing to consider something different. Wow. So, so did you initially open up the school to, to, to feed your salons? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because you know, back then, so again, I've been in the school business for over 35 years. Uh, when I was interviewing graduates of the, of the schools that existed in my city at that time to come work in my salon, after a year in school, they weren't at all ready to compete in the salon industry. I thought the best way to train them would be to train them myself. And I mean, who knew? You know, that's why I say sometimes that, that naivete, uh, not knowing that you can't do it, because I didn't know what those red flags were. You know, the people like, oh, when's, he's going to fail by tomorrow because there's a red flag that, and I didn't even see the red flag. I didn't even know what that meant. And so I just, you know, zoomed right past it. Um, but that's why I got into the school business was to train them for my own salon. But decisions that I made even back then uh, served me to this day. Like back then, my first school was on the second floor of a building that did not have an elevator, which meant you had to climb stairs. And I did that. Why? Because rent was cheaper on the second floor than it was on the ground floor of, of retail space. It was purely out of, well, I can't afford prime real estate. We'll go to the second floor. Well, what that turned into was that little old ladies couldn't come to my school to get their hair done. Because not up until that point, the only type of a guest, the client that went into a beauty school was shampoo sets. So people would leave beauty school having done 2,000 shampoo sets and one haircut. Wow. So they, not at all, were they ready to work in the salon business. And so I, but then I turned that into my advantage. Not that, that, not that we uh, didn't enjoy and love the, the elderly guests that we have. In fact, I could tell you stories about how we embrace that community. That's a whole nother story. Story, which was beautiful and wonderful. And to this day, our students still go visit uh, elderly communities to volunteer on a regular basis and provide that love and those services that, that, that we do and offer discounts and even free services. Because that, well, that was the story, actually. Um, well, I'll tell the story. Uh, this woman came in and she had been coming to us for a long time. And, and then one day, all of a sudden, she was there for a hair color. I'm like, you know, you're usually, you know, you're usually here just for a shampoo set. Why, why, you know, is it a special day? You know, you get your hair colored today. Why is it a special day? She says, yeah, it's my, my husband's funeral tomorrow. <laughs> I'm like, okay, um, uh, you don't pay. In fact, you never pay again. In fact, no senior citizen will ever pay money in my school ever again. It was the worst announcement I ever made because <laughs> within weeks, Hundreds and hundreds were coming to us all for free. But let me tell you something. I got cards, cookies, quilts. Wow. <laughs> so there was, <laughs> there was an upside to it. But, you know, it was, it was one of those things that uh, you go through these, these experiences and as you're trying to build a company, realizing that this was a, a huge mistake. And then at the same time, this was a huge blessing. Doing some research and, and just hearing you like to serve has special meaning to you, huh? Even if it only had the meaning of making more money, meaning if all as a business leader, if all I cared about was making more money, I would still want to be a member of what we call Generation G. The G stands for generosity and studies prove that 86% of consumers will switch from one brand to another brand solely based on the other brand gives back. Meaning if I'm trying to capture loyalty of my customer only because I want to make more money, well, then guess what? I'm going to give back. I'm going to raise money and I'm going to raise awareness for causes that are important to, to myself, to my team, 
into my community. And I could do that for selfish reasons. It just so happens that um, I was raised well. I had wonderful parents, eight kids in my family, and you know, we never had our own bedroom. You all, we always had to share with two or three other kids. And so you had to be thinking about the, the, the needs of other people around me, even though it was just my family. Eight kids, you know, how do mom do that? I have a hard time keeping up with laundry with one little girl. <laughs> my mom, you know, how'd she do that? You know, mom, why do we have to go mow the lawn for free of the lady down the street? Right? Why do I have to do that? That's how we were raised. And so we were raised with the idea that we're going to serve, that we're going to give back, that we're going to think of others more than we think of ourselves. I mean, I could adjust that lesson a little bit. Right. Um, but so I, I, I and, and then I also went into partnership with John Paul DeJoria. You know, so uh, he yeah. and I became business partners in, in the year 2000. Uh, so almost 20 years as business partners. And I mean, he's a billionaire, but everybody knows his story of, of being homeless and living in his car. And yet even back then when they could barely pay rent, when they could barely pay anything, he already had that, that mindset in that. Uh, business model, so to speak, of giving back and, and, and raising money and raising awareness. Well, since you brought it up, how did you guys meet? How, I mean, how did you guys connect? Well, again, uh, back in the, in the late 80s, as I was going to so many different seminars, the only way that I could validate all the information that I was taking in from all these wonderful mentors was to talk about it. And so I would go to a two-day retreat with somebody like a Marianne Williamson or a Louise Hay, I'd come home from that retreat and the next week my staff would be like, oh, so when, what did you learn? What, what, did, what did Louise Hay teach you during those two days? And then I would try to repeat the entire seminar. And all of a sudden we were spending more time talking about what I was trying to learn from Louise Hay or from these other mentors that we were never addressing the business of running the salon. So all of a sudden staff meetings, team meetings turned into motivational events. And I was sharing my information of what I was trying to learn. That process of sharing information, people would say, gosh, you're, you're really good at explaining that win. You, had, you have a, a, a real good way with, with words. And so, gosh, can you come and teach that same message to this group or to my husband or to this other salon? And that all of a sudden evolved into a career. I never intended to be a motivational speaker. In fact, I remember once when somebody said, you know, well, what do you charge? I'm like, charge? Um, fifty dollars. <laughs> you know, we'll my, my fees kind of gone up a little bit since then. But uh, and so what happened was, uh, by the year 1989, uh, the Paul Mitchell Company was hiring me and sending me around the country to do seminars and tr and trainings, and that's how I came across John Paul. So, uh, the man Paul Mitchell died in 1989, soon months after he passed away. So I never met him. Months after he passed away was the first time that I did a training, a motivational event for the Paul Mitchell Company, and, and then continued doing that all through the 90s. But I was also doing with other companies, too. I've done a ton of work with the Sassoon Company and the Aveda Company. And, and to this day, I'm not exclusive to Paul Mitchell. I never wanted to have a career that was exclusive. I don't really believe in that. I don't believe that, well, because you're not part of my brand, you don't stand under the same umbrella the same product line that, that we use. Therefore, you have no value. Uh, you're not welcomed in my organization. I never understood that. And, and by the way, neither does John Paul. Like we bring in a ton of artists and educators and mentors who have nothing to do with the Paul Mitchell brand, and yet they teach in all of our schools. And so uh, John Paul and the Paul Mitchell company, I was already well connected with them by the time that John Paul one day said, we need to get into the school business. I was already in the school business. He called me up. I said, sure, I'll do it, but you can't hire me. I'm your partner. And he said, absolutely. So, wow. You know who he sounds like, Tony sounds a lot like Jen Plank. You know, she kind of, she, she, you know, Love her. she, uh, she, she has the same kind of, of, of philosophy, you know, like, like, you know, there, there's message for everyone, not just, not just one brand or, or, or whatever. So yeah, we're big fans of Jen and we're, we're through the podcast. We've become, I'm quite good friends as well. So, so yeah. I, I love her. And, you know, and if, and if we could all send out that, that message, you know, you know, that who, who cares what product line you're carrying, you know, it's, it's like, if they don't carry the same product line, I, then I don't care what they have to say. And I, I, I really don't understand that. Um, 
people want to, um, they judge the messenger, right? And then, and, and in doing so, they discard the brilliant lesson. They discard the message because they disqualify the messenger. They disqualify them because, you know, they're a certain age or a certain color, or they represent a different product line. I actually had a very famous, famous hairdresser. He was at one of our um, events, uh, a fundraising event, and Fran Drescher was there. And he's like, oh my gosh, I would love to get a, a photo of Fran Drescher. I'm like, well, come over here. I'll introduce you to Fran. And he's not, like, no, I can't take a photo with Fran Drescher because the step and repeat behind has the Paul Mitchell logo. And if my boss sees me in a photo with the Paul Mitchell logo behind me, I'll get fired. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, how uh, sad is that? It's really sad. And we, we've actually, we, we've encountered that a couple of times, you know, um, uh, Schedulicity has been kind enough to, um, to, to sponsor our podcast and, and we've had to turn down pod, or people have turned down our podcast because of our relationship with Schedulicity. And I don't get it at all. I mean, yeah. you know, for, for, for Tony and I, we're just, we're just a bunch of hairdressers that, that are just, you know, trying to spread, you know, good messaging ar- around. So I don't, I don't really get, um, I don't really get the, that brand thing, you know, but well, maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just a a speaker. I'm a whore as a speaker and I'll just speak anywhere. I don't know. But you know, I did listen to your, to the master series with you and Fran. (laughs) She's a great lady, man. That was, she's, she's a riot. That's all she's saying. She seems like a blast, man. She, she, she is a blast. And you know, I know I, it's not, it's not like I want to promote every famous person that I meet because I've met some famous people that I really could care less what they have to say. I'm not, I'm not going to spread their, their, mis, their message or their wisdom to anybody because he, he almost said famous. misery. You saw that, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, I'll, 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 I can't believe I'm telling this, but what the heck, um, you know, we did uh, our, our gala is held at the Beverly Hilton hotel which is that's, that, that's the same stage where they have the Golden Globes and lots of famous events happen in that same ballroom where we have uh, our event every single year. And, uh, and we bring in our own celebrities, you know, so we've had everybody from Betty White to Dolly Parton, Larry King and Vidal Sassoon and Magic Johnson and Gary Sinise. So we have our celebrities. Well, apparently the Beverly Hilton has their own PR department. And so uh, one time, one year, like two days before our event, they're like, win, good news, good news. Um, all the real housewives of Beverly Hills are going to come to your events. I'm like, no, they're not. (laughs) When this is great, we got them. They're all going to come. I'm like, they're not invited. You have to uninvite them. I don't want that energy, that message, that brand ruining our event because our message is the exact opposite of what they spread. Mm. 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 And that takes, yeah, I mean, kudos to what you're looking for is integrity that takes integrity right exactly well there are some famous i mean they're famous they're rich and they're beautiful but the message that they send is just it's horrifying you know i I, i'm sorry jerry springer would not be invited and welcomed at any of my events it's like you know what it is it's it is a hard message but it's a message um that i think that i'm willing to stand up for and and i hope that other people do as well. Uh, yeah, you have the courage to protect your brand. You know, my name is Win Clayba, but Win Clayba is also my brand. And I've been spending 35 plus years to build my name, my reputation. I can't risk that brand by aligning myself with somebody who teaches the opposite of that. Like there's people who try to post negative stuff on my social media and people are like, well, just delete it. I'm like, no, I delete them. They're like, well, when that's just free speech. I'm like, no, it's not, 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 um, they, it's, it's free speech on their podcasts, on their social media. They can spread whatever they want, but I've worked hard to build this platform and get thousands of people to trust me that if they go to my social media, they're not going to see um, a Jerry Springer show. They're, they're not going to see a bunch of gossip and a bunch of negative people spreading misery and spreading that there, there's plenty of that out there. Right now, especially with what we're all going through, I believe that there are two powers that rule this universe. One is fear, and the opposite of fear is love. And there's plenty of fear out there, and so I just don't want to be a part of that. What do, what do they say? You're either part of the problem or you're part of the solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it's not like it, it, this is who you are. This is, this is from the very beginning. I mean, e- even the book, you know, 
be nice or else, you know, it's, what else, what else can you say? You know what I mean? It, it, that's who you are. And, and if for anybody to try to, to discredit you or to try to say anything other, look at, just look at what you've done. Look, look at your walk. You know what I mean? I, I would tell those people before you speak out, make sure you look at his journey, watch his walk before you, because a lot of people just want to just, you know, speak without really understanding or knowing the truth or, or anything, you know? So, uh, but what, what, speaking of the book, what gave you the motivation or, or what encouraged you to, to write the book? Originally the, 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 it was not intended to be a book. What it was, was uh, in November, I celebrated 18 years clean off of drugs. So uh, throughout, through this whole journey and you're thinking, wait a minute, none of this is matching up. For some reason, somehow for a couple of years, I got off track and I became a drug addict. And by the way, I was a really good one because if I'm going to do anything, I'm going to be really good. at it, right? <laughs> um, but fortunately, it only lasted for a couple of years, which was plenty. Um, but in the process of, of becoming clean, I was journaling because that was like, okay, this is my new life. Um, you know, who am I? What do, what do I believe in? What do I stand for? And so it was originally, I was just journaling. I was writing this stuff down of, of who I am. What do I, what do I believe in? What message uh, do I want to send out as a, as a person, as I reinvent my life right now? Um, and, and then I had friends that were, I was sending different paragraphs or different things, messages uh, about my journaling too. And they're like, you know, this could actually be a good book. And then uh, again, Larry King had contacted me and said, if you're going to write this book, uh, I'd love to write the forward for the book. So I just, I just had a lot of really cool people, good friends, and some of them famous that were encouraging me to turn this into a book. And, and then that's also at the exact same time that we were starting to open up a bunch of Palm Mitchell schools, which if we were to have a podcast just about the importance of a culture. And so here we have, I had one location. It's, it's easy to have a good culture and to practice leadership and have good systems with one location or maybe two, because I could drive between two locations, maybe mm-hmm. three, that's getting a little tough, right? But having more than that, you know, meant um, that now, um, how do you spread that message to make sure that that strong culture exists in locations where I'm not going to be there. I'm not going to visit those locations. How are they going to get that message, even though I physically don't show up? Meaning it had to be written down. This is who we are, and this is how we sustain that culture. And I believe that all systems have to be written down, including the culture. So, um, oh, uh, we have a little visitor, if that's okay. Yeah, that's awesome. This is my Sophia. Hi, Sophia. I call her toothless now. Look at he has, is it a, 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 a cousin, a, a niece? That's Sophia, did you say? Yeah, Sorry? it's my niece, my brother's oh, so little he, girl. Yeah, so he has a niece who's 10 years old named Sophia, too. Yeah. So, yeah, so Sophia's in homeschooling in, in the other part of the house because as we record this, we're all quarantined right now. So we're making, sure. you know, I always said that I wish I had more time with my daughter. Well, guess what? I got it. So now <laughs> I'm going sure to complain about the fact that I have to do homeschooling. No, right. I'm make the most of it, right? <laughs> Awesome. The best. When I want, I want to take you back just a little bit. You were talking about, um, talking about, you know, uh, motivations and fear and stuff. And and you know, it's easy to say that we live in this positive kind of world, but but at the end of the day, we're all human. So so when you when 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 you start to get negative feelings or negative thoughts or or any kind of like you know the weight of of everything, what's the conversation? First off. Are you are you pretty good at like catching it early, or or sometimes is it a week later you're like you know what I haven't been my best win this week. Um, so one is like are are you pretty good at, at at catching it early, and then you know what what practices do you do you use to kind of get yourself back onto like a positive street, back onto Sesame Street? Okay, uh, well you said it that uh, we're all human. So I had a really good mentor years ago teach that to me because I was starting to beat myself up. It's like, wait a minute, if I have all this knowledge from all these uh, seminars that I've gone to, why can't I live every single day fully motivated, fully happy? And 
And I had a mentor that pulled me aside and said, guess what? Welcome to the human race. You know, just because you've been to all these seminars does not mean that you're now not human. And because everything's in a cycle, the, the tide comes in, the tide goes out, seasons change, planets revolve around the sun. Everything's in a cycle, including our emotions, including our moods. And so some days for me to jump out of bed before the alarm goes off and have this incredible, empowering day is a piece of cake. And other days, nothing gets me out of bed. So just, I had to forgive myself, give myself uh, a, a break that I'm going to have those days and that's okay. That's okay. I love, love that. Um, you know, one thing that as I've gotten older and Tony and I've talked about this before is the biggest learn that, that I've gotten about life is that it's a practice, right? And, and, mm-hmm. and, and by the literal sense of that, it's a practice. And and, you know, uh, through a practice, identify and then let go, right? Like don't, don't identify and don't, you know, dwell on it, but just identify, okay, you know, I'm feeling this certain way and then kind of let it go. And, and it gives you permission to move forward as opposed to giving yourself permission to, to stay in place. And, and well, it is, it I, is a practice. Sorry. No, no, go. no it, it is a practice. And I, and by the way, um, I, I don't mind sharing with you that for me, uh, being happy does not come naturally to me. Even to this day, happiness does not come naturally to me. I have to work at it every single day. I, and I used to have this belief system of, you know, why, why can't I coast once in a while? You know what? I can't. I can't. I know that there are certain things that I have to do every single day. I know what those things are now. Obviously, 18 years ago, I didn't know what those things are. I haven't graduated by, by any means because it's not like you get to some point in life saying, well, I have plenty of happiness. No more. Thank you very much. <laughs> We're never going to graduate from this stuff. This is for the rest of our lives. And becoming a dad obviously has added an, another layer of what it looks like to be, uh, to be um, integral in my life, be integral with with my, my own emotions and, and the, the, the routine that I have. So I'm not just doing it for myself. I absolutely have to do it for a little eight-year-old girl, but it's something that I do every single day. Like I know, and maybe you guys can relate to this. I know what I'm capable of in a negative way. I know if I allow myself to get off track, I know how low I can go. So I just don't allow that anymore. I, I know what it takes to stay on track. And I, and I'm very, very disciplined with those things. That discipline. I think that that's the key, right? Yeah. It's just like any other uh, discipline, you know what I mean? It just, it, you got to work at it. And, 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 you know, a lot of people, I guess I'm not, I don't want to say a lot of people, I don't want to put in, you know, I'm not throwing anybody under the bus, but a lot of people don't practice discipline. So they don't have any I guess, resistance to saying what they want to say, how they want to say it. I don't care who I hurt or, you know what I mean? And they just speak just, just for the sake of speaking. And, and, and if it hurts somebody, it hurts somebody. Right. Um, you know, I mad respect for you when, because I, you know, like you, I've practiced and I've learned how to just, just, hold back you know because i know what i'm capable of being as well and you know and i just i you know a total a lot of respect to you my friend a lot of respect well you guys have a lot of power too and and we're we're i'm sure all three of us are very very opinionated <laughs> but like you said you know when to hold back you know just you know gosh is if me voicing my opinion and i have every right to really, is it going to serve people? Is it going to benefit anybody? Or is it just my ego saying, I am a grown man, I have an opinion, and therefore, I have every right to say what I'm going to say without taking any responsibility for where and how that lands? You know, the, the, the funny thing about practice, and certainly my practice is that, um, you know, I fail a lot, you know, like, like every day, you know, I, 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 I fail at something, you know, I guess the only goal in, in, in the practice is to you know, identify it and, and try not to fail the same way tomorrow, you know, but, but you will, <laughs> you know, like, like right. I, I fail, you know, 80% of the time, but it's the 20% of the time that I'm trying to get it right. Yeah. And, and to me, that's, that's a life worth living. That's, that's, 
for me, that used to depress me that why do I have to fail? Why is this happening to me? Now that's like an adventure. You know, like right now, again, we're, we're quarantined as we're going through this. I'm thinking of this, like when else does this happen where the entire planet can stop all at the same time and take a breather and, and reassess and what's really important. I'm, I'm quarantined with these family members. How do I improve relationships? I was on a, a Zoom classroom a couple of weeks ago and, and one of the students and one of my students was saying that he had been trying to figure out a relationship with his father for years and nothing was working. Nothing was working. Well, now that he's quarantined with his dad, right now, he says, when we have a relationship, you know, we're talking, we're negotiating, we're getting to know each other when that hasn't happened for years. And he said, I will forever be grateful to COVID-19 because it meant now I have a relationship with my dad. Wow. That is powerful, man. Yeah. That's fantastic. When what do you, what do you see the future of uh, of um like I, I don't know how to call it off campus education you know like like the Zoom calls and stuff like that like like how has Paul Mitchell the school system set up for that or or oh absolutely and will it be will it be part of your future oh yeah it absolutely will you know you know again going through this experience where desperation gives us an opportunity to embrace what's next. And so going through this experience out of desperation, so to speak, we are now forced to really take a look at distance learning. And this is a different generation where they, where they are more capable of uh, and available to learn certain lessons, whether it's just maybe the theory side of, of learning cosmetology and barbering and skin and, and makeup. Um, obviously, the, the good news is that you can never get a haircut online and so a lot of the training <laughs> needs to be hands-on with that mentor and that 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 learning leader right then and there and um and so yeah so moving forward will Palm Mitchell schools embrace distance learning more so absolutely I'm, I'm also proud to say that uh that weekend so to speak when every everything was shut down and everybody was forced to close businesses and stay at home we turned on a dime and there were certain states that had laws against distance learning what? and and literally using our influence in, in several states, literally over a few days, we were able to use the power that we have to get those states to, to change their laws. So to, to accept distance learning, some states accept 10% of your learning can be distance learning. Some states are as high as 25% or so. So yeah, Moving forward, we're going to make the most of this. We've learned, I don't know about you guys, but gosh, I, I learned how to turn on my camera and turn off my, I didn't know how to do this stuff on a Zoom call before, you know, so yeah, we're going to be better because of this. I think all my honey-do lists, uh, I, I learned from the computer, right? Just online learning, so. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> you know which stuff I've learned on YouTube? <laughs> As long as we know, you know, where, where it has its place, you know, because this can be a generation where they watch one YouTube video and think that Warner Brothers called them the next day to be the makeup head at their new feature film. You know, it's, it, right. yeah, these are resources and yes, it is valuable information, but, you know, let's not give it too much credit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't it doesn't replace the no. the hands on no. or the live. Yeah, at all. No, no, certainly doesn't. So, so, I mean, what as I'm researching you, when and as I'm I'm learning more and more about you, listening to you, listen to all, you know all, all the master series and and things. But is it from you how like you know? the whole giving back spirit. I mean, you put it in all your schools, you know, you do fundraisers in all your schools and, and I, and you guys raise millions of dollars and you give it all, you know, give it away. I mean, how, how did that come about into, into the schools? Um, again, that was part of the business model from the very, very beginning. Not that a veteran company who's been around 10, 20, 30 years couldn't now uh, implement that and instill that inside of their culture. Uh, not only can they, but they should. It's absolutely, I feel, a very, very necessary 
part, not just of being a good human being, but to be a success in business. You need to have an element of your company uh, is about giving back because we all have power and resources. But, you know, you can't just be take, take, take. You know, we're all consumers. We consume air. We consume trees. We consume water. We consume the paychecks of the guests who come into the salon to, to receive services. Well, we can't just be consumers. We also have to be contributors. So when we take part of what we receive and we put it back out there. So if we consume trees, we plant trees, right? If we consume the paychecks of our, of our customers, we then turn around and put that money back out into the community for causes that are important to us and important to our community. So yes, for those reasons, you can do that. But fortunately, again, because of how I was raised, um, that was just part of the business model back then. But we knew starting the Palm Mitchell schools, when we had one Palm Mitchell school, we knew that it, it couldn't just be, you know, one walkathon. You know, some people think that giving back means that you attend one black tie fundraising cocktail party every December and you write out a little check and, you know, I'm, I'm done for the year. No. Well, yeah, that money did some good in December, but what about January? And by the way, there are people in need in February. Oh, and then in March, what about those people who need your time and need your money? And then, by the way, something's happening in April as well. Like I'm telling people all the time, you know, there's 10 million children that every single year walk into a Children's Miracle Network hospital, some of them with potentially life-threatening diseases, and they can go into one of 170 hospitals in the U.S. and receive the care that they need, even if they can't afford it. Are those 10 million children on hold right now because of this pandemic? No, no. Because we're at home throwing our pity parties. Woe is me. I can't go to the gym. You know, I can't go into the salon. You know, are they, are, are they on hold? No, no, they still need us. They still need our time and our attention. And so uh, it's part of our culture and curriculum that is not just one walkathon, literally, there's a minimum of three months a year. So we start a campaign the 1st of February, and it goes all the way February, March, and April. Three months where every single school, almost on a daily basis, is doing some type of a fundraiser. Whether it's a bake sale that raises $50 or a fashion show that they spend months putting together that can raise $10,000. Um, we had our school in Orlando years ago came up with this idea to do uh, a topless car wash. So they advertised everywhere topless car wash. Of course, everybody showed up. But what it meant was they didn't wash the top of your car. It was a topless <laughs> car wash. Yeah. So to have the top wash, you had to pay extra. Uh-huh. And, and they raised $1,500 in a day. So, you know, so they're very creative in how they raise this money. But that's the thing is that they have power and influence and so, and, and, and I get students all the time that are like, you know, I, I didn't sign up for this. I, I signed up for your school to learn how to cut hair. Why do I now have to go raise money and volunteer my time to go to Skid Row and cut hair for the homeless? Why are you requiring that I do that? Well, first of all, we're not forcing anybody to do anything. But you know what? Whenever I have, like, let's say that the Skid Row, the Fred Jordan mission who we've been working with for years in Skid Row in downtown LA. I mean, this is in the worst of the worst of the worst. You walk through those neighborhoods and I've walked my daughter through those neighborhoods. You're walking by, walking through tent cities, you know, you see everything, right? And three times a year, we take a group of about a hundred students to Skid Row. By the way, they dress up. So it's not like they're dressed casually. No, you're going to dress up for the homeless here. You're going to give your best to them. We set up a tent and they cut hair. So they do thousands of haircuts. And I have students who (laughs) had the worst attendance, the worst attitude. They go and have that experience. They come back to school the next week. Attitude improves. (laughs) Their drive improves. Because they have that experience of giving back and thinking about the needs of somebody else Rather than I'm in school only to get my license, I only want a paycheck and I don't care about other people. So I know the value of having a uh, part of the curriculum be we have to give back. You want to create loyalty in a salon? Man, get those team members together and give them a purpose. Give them a purpose. It's a basic human need 
to feel that you have a purpose. And by the way, your purpose can never be about making money. Yes, making money is great. It's, it's wonderful, but it can't be your why. It can't be your purpose. And I like to give the example of two janitors working for an elementary school. Same job, same hours, same boss, same everything. One janitor has the attitude of, you know, these little brats make a mess around here and it's my job to clean it up. That's what they pay me to do. And the other janitor has the attitude of, I get to create a clean learning environment for the next generation that's going to save this planet. One has a job and the other one has a purpose. Mm. Love that. I absolutely, I might, I'm, I'm, de- I'm definitely stealing that analogy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I stole it from somebody else who stole it from somebody else. <laughs> yeah, 100%. We, we, we call it research. <laughs> it's called research. Hey, when I'm, I'm, you've brought up culture a, a few times. So one, I want to, I, I want to talk, I want to live a little bit in culture, but, uh, I'm, but leading you into that, we've had numerous people from the Paul Mitchell world on the podcast, you know, whether it was Robert or Mary or, or, uh, or Kelly uh, Cardenas. Um, and it seems like nobody leaves the culture, right? It seems like Robert's been there for a thousand years and Mary's been there for, you know, if he's been there a thousand, she's been there a hundred years and, you know, and then Kelly's been there forever too. And like, and then we can even go back to, uh, to the podcast we did with Sharon and Charles and where they are like, you know, they are part of the culture. So right. um, I, I don't know. I, it's a statement and a question all at one time. Go ahead. Okay. Well, well let me define culture. Culture, when, when two people come together, you have a culture. You either decide what that culture looks like and feels like, or it will be decided for you. And oftentimes what's decided for you is something negative, something toxic, okay? Meaning it doesn't happen by accident that we have a culture that's healthy, that people want to belong to. Uh, doesn't happen all the time, right? We don't get it right every single time, but that's our intention, Because to keep people loyal, there are three basic human needs. People need to feel safe. People need to feel that they belong. And people need to have a purpose. They need to have a reason why, okay? So we focus on those three basic human needs. When when it comes to you say, why why don't people leave? See, if you're thinking that you're going to establish loyalty in your salon, in your product company, in your distributorship, uh, because you think that you have the best product, and therefore, people will be loyal. Well, what happens if the, if the product line down the street all of a sudden uh, researches and discovers a better ingredient that, that now makes your product less than? You just lost everybody's loyalty, right? You can't base loyalty based on price, right? We're the cheapest haircut in town. You, can't, you can never do it based on price. And you also can't do it based on, well, we have the best haircutting system. Um, there are companies who we would all agree might have the best haircutting system on the planet, and then people jumped ship. People left and went someplace else. Why? Because there was a toxic culture in some of those companies and some of those organizations. And so, you know, the, bre- the best product, the best system, or the best service cannot build loyalty. Loyalty is based on something that really has nothing to do with the service, the product, and that is the culture. So, again, people need to feel safe. So John Paul DeJoria is brilliant at making people feel safe. People need to feel that they belong. Did you know that 60% of people say no one has my back and half of them are married? (laughs) My gosh, if a salon owner, think about that salon owner. If they knew, um, if they knew a way to make sure that every single person who worked in their salon was safe, that every single person, like I I like telling the story that, after being in the salon business for two years, this woman who worked for me one day privately pulled me aside and she said, "When I want you to know for the last 20 years, I have been in a very abusive marriage, but because of working here for the last two years, I now have the courage to divorce this man. And I was like, huh? What are you talking about? She's like, when? I've been in this abusive marriage for 20 years, but for the last two years, when I come to work every single day, I feel loved. I feel like I'm safe. I feel like I'm making a difference. Like I I have value here. And because of that, I now have the courage to divorce this man. And that was a huge wake up call for me. Because up until that point, I thought that my only role, my only responsibility as a business leader was to create a place where she earns a paycheck. What she taught me that day was the responsibility that I have to create that safe environment 
for her, for my guests. And that's so I could give them the worst haircut and yet they're still loyal, right? I, I could, they could be making less money. Again, their paycheck is important, but when they do studies and they ask employees to rate in order of importance, income is about number seven on the list. Wow. That is, that, that's insane. Wow. That is, that, that is insane. So, I love it. yeah. So you mind if we ask, you know, kind of, you know, once we get outside of this quarantine, what is Clay up to or went up to? I'm sorry. Um, that's okay. Um, <laughs> well, again, everything revolves around my, my eight-year-old girl. So just, uh, you know, f- figuring out what, what are her needs coming out of this? Because as much as, like I say, we want to throw our, our pity parties, you know, her, her little world's been turned upside down. Why can't I see my friends every day at school? Why can't I hug my teacher every single day. So, you know, easing back into what's her life going to look like. And that's, that's number one for me. So I'm heavily going to focus on that. And we've done our research on homeschooling and how to improve this. And not only are we, are we her dads, we're also now uh, her school teachers too. Gosh, that's a relationship that we have to navigate through. Um, But otherwise, this is, and everybody's going to experience this. So all of you business leaders and owners and managers, what's happening right now is there's going to be a shift with the people that you work with, the people that work in your company, because, you know, we're seeing this brings out the, the best in people. Uh, crises like this can bring out the best in people. It also brings out the worst. Like, you know, when, when, when we were told, okay, you can't come to work, everybody go home and we're all going to work from home. Some of those people just disappeared. <laughs> Woo-hoo! A, a paycheck and I don't have to work for it. I never heard from them again. Well, when we all get to go back to work, gosh, you think that there's maybe some people that aren't going to be invited back, you know, or, or maybe I shift, you know, roles and responsibilities. There are some people we sent them home and they went overboard. You know, there, there are some people, I'm like, like, have you taken a shower in three days? Because I'm looking at you on the Zoom classroom and you really haven't done your, I bet your family's worried about you right now. You know, go do your hair and makeup. Well, when, why bother? I'm at home. Why bother? Really? Send out a different message. And there's some people who did that. They went home and they reinvented themselves. They're healthier. They have a better relationship with their family, right? They've been doing meditation and reading and hobbies, things that they always wanted to do. And what they're coming back with is, wow, I can take this. Give me a challenge. I'm going to rise above it. Well, that's my next leader. That's my next director. That's my next partner. And it's because of the crises that we're going through that the best is coming out of them. So I think that that for all salons and companies in and out of the beauty industry, there's going to be a shift. There's going to be a shift of, of who has the power, you know, who, who can we really trust and count on? Right. And so I'm, I'm excited to see where that all lands. Mm. Yeah. When, you, you and me both brother. <laughs> Amazing. We, 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 we've already done an hour win and, and, and it went by oh. just like that. I, I uh, thank you for that because that, 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 that was very, very uh, awesome. Um, I, I want to commit you to another podcast cause I, yeah, I just like to, Absolutely. I love to, just love to hear you talk and, and, and inspire because uh, you are inspirational, my friend. Well, you guys are, are you make it easy. The, 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 the balance between the two of you and you, you guys have a formula that works. And I, I've watched the ones that you've done before. So congratulations that you're using your power and influence to, you know, spread good, good messages. Not once have you asked me to gossip about somebody during this podcast. So other than the Real Housewives, you you asked me about. But that you brought that, that up. You brought that up. Dude. We <laughs> didn't bring that up. Rewind <laughs> the tape. It wasn't me. Oh man! Oh. Well, our formula is very easy. When we've been friends for thirty years, <laughs> that's our formula. There we go. Yeah. There we go. Much love, brother. Much, much love. Thank you so much uh, for giving and doing what you do for the industry. A hundred percent. Thanks, Corey. And, Thanks, Tony. Hey, and when next time that you're, you're visiting the, uh, the the temple, we would uh, we'd love to come by and say hello to you. And, oh, that'd be like, amazing. Ho- hopefully, we can be in like uh, we don't have to social distance, and we can actually hug one out, and uh, you know, uh, during that time, because that'd be pretty awesome. Um, 
we, 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 we did that several times where we would right there in Frederick, we would rent out that, that theater. I don't know what it's called. And we would, have, like, we would have like 800 of our students travel from five or six different schools, jump on a bus, some of them for three or four hours. And we would do a full day event there. And I'd bring people like Kathy Buckley with me. And yeah. so, oh my gosh. So yeah, we are going to look forward and we will hopefully do that very, very soon and, and hug it out too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We, um, we're actually doing a show there at the Weinberg. Um, it's called Presley Poe and Friends. We're doing it in September. And Presley's going to be there, and she's going to be on stage with a, with a guy you might have heard of named Sam Villa. And, uh, and we have the Platinum. Sam. Sam's an amazing guy. Um, and then we're going to have the Platinum Giraffe there and um, uh, Ruth Roche. Ruth Roche is going to be there. And oh, my gosh. She's one of my favorite people. Uh, say it again, because she is definitely one of our favorite people, too. But we're doing that in September. I, I have story after story about Ruth and, and all good, all, most of them funny. Um, but again, somebody, she's, she's like, what is she, her title for Redkin? She's like way at the top there of Redkin. And yet she teaches with our Paul Mitchell schools because her, she understands the value of, of crossing those, those boundaries and those lines. And so does her company. And so I love, love Ruth and Sambia, incredible people. Yeah, it's funny because our show that we're putting on, that the whole the whole mind frame behind it is to take all these artists from different brands and put them together on stage and so and that's what we've been doing and and, and so we kind of uh just been really focusing on that and 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 allowing artists to, to be artists and, and work together where they normally couldn't it's it's good for you the message is more important than the brand, you know, and I think, I think as, yeah. as, as an industry, we're there and, it, you know, I think we're kind of, we're, we're kind of tinkering on that anyways. Um, but, you know, we're, we're really happy to bring that, but when, again, um, I can't wait to actually meet you and, and, and hug it out or high five or elbow bump if we're still, uh, you know, <laughs> if that's still what, what, what we need to do. But um, when, thank you for hanging out with us. Thank you for taking the time and thank you very, very much for joining us on your day off. It's a pleasure.